Those are all of the uh, topics we're going to be looking at over the next eight weeks uh, in our Doors series. <clears throat> As we start today, uh, I wonder if you know how many churches there are. The front door to a church, when I drive around town, I, I sometimes look at those doors and I think, I wonder what it's like behind those doors. I wonder if I were to go to that church today, as I walk up to that door and as I think about going in there, would they accept me? Because you remember the first time you came here, some of you heard we're kind of weird. We embrace it and we are honest about that. We're weird. We, we know that. But some of you heard and, and you're thinking as you walk to that door, what's it going to be like? For me, I think, okay, of those churches, if I walk in there, can I go in there in blue jeans and a Hawaiian shirt? Because quite honestly, I've been in churches in my past where that was unacceptable and you would be told at the door that is unacceptable. And, and for me, I think about what would their children's programs be like? Because when Janie and I are out of town, we go to other churches and we specifically pick churches that, that are like us and we go and... And uh, in the past, our kids have been in the children's program, and we've gone and, and we've put them in the children's program. So when, before I get to that door, I'm thinking, what's it going to be like? Are they going to like me? Are they going to accept me? Are they going to take care of my kids? Are they going to teach my kids about the love of Christ? And, and, you know, because this is my profession, I start thinking, what is the preaching going to be like? Is it biblically sound? If I go there and I sit there, am I going to be fed from the Word of God? Those types of things go through my mind when I'm driving around town. And, and, you know, we've been in this building almost two years. So in May, it'll be two years that we've been out here. And uh, we'll have had 102 services by May, the first Sunday in May. <clears throat> and we're in a great location. I would love to have one of those, you know, highway counters out there to see how many people drive by our location. Because I, I think there are thousands and thousands of people. I think we'd be staggered to know how many people drive by here. And, you know, we have our little sign out there. And, and do you know how many people in the last two years have just stopped in just, just because? Three. Because I'm always thinking, what's it going to take to get those people who are driving by to stop in? Now, we've had three people that I know of that just because they saw the sign, they, stopped, they thought they would stop and give us a try. A couple of those people have joined our church. But the point is... Most of the time, folks aren't just going to drive by and go, oh, I would like to go there. I, I bet they'll love me. I bet they'll accept me. I bet they'll love on my kids. People don't think like that, do they? And uh, when, I was, when I was growing up, I grew up in the Baptist church, and, and I've been a youth minister in Baptist church, and we are actually affiliated with the Southern Baptist of Texas. You couldn't tell by looking around. We do that on purpose. I mean, we, the, the doctrine is very sound, and that's why we are Southern Baptists, but the way we do things uh, is, is very different than what most people think of as, as Southern Baptists. But when I was growing up, <clears throat> there would always be this argument that would go on. And, and usually, like if Christmas or Easter or you know, some holiday fell on a Sunday, the, the discussion would come up in staff meeting somewhere, and we'd say, why don't we cancel services on Sunday night or Wednesday night, whichever you know it happened to be, and let's encourage people to spend time with their families. And usually one or more deacons would stand up and they'd say, oh, I, I don't think we ought to be canceling services because some lost people might be driving by. And if those lost people drive by, they need to find Jesus. And how are they going to find Jesus if you're not here? Well, on the surface, that sounds like a very spiritual question. How can they find Jesus if we're not here? 
But there's a couple of fundamental flaws with that premise. Number one, that deacon didn't give a flying rip about whether someone went to hell or not. His actions, his attitudes showed that he didn't care if people busted open the gates of hell. That didn't bother him at all. What he really uh, was upset about was, we pay you to be here to tell people about Jesus. Because he wasn't going to be here on that holiday. He just wanted the staff to be, don't you? Staff slacking off again. So the first thing is, he didn't care about lost people. But the second thing is, the implication is that Jesus, that God doesn't know where people who are far from God are. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible tells us over and over that God knows where people are that are lost. He knows where they are. And what he does is he looks to find his followers, people who say, I'm a Christian. Christian means little Christ. It means someone who follows in the footsteps of who they claim is their savior, a little Christ. God looks around for a little Christ to put in the path of that person who's far from God to help them understand or help lead them to someone who can help them understand that there is life after death. There is something the other side of the grave. And it's wonderful for those who come through Christ, who come through the door. Every week of this series, there's going to be two options. The white door represents the door that leads to God. The black door represents the door that leads to destruction. We have got to help people understand that, uh, that God gives us an option on this side of death to determine where we go on the other side of death. Now, our church is filled with people who have been invited here. Most of you have been invited by someone. And, and I want you to think back to when you first came. What were you thinking about when you came through the door the first time? This is so important because it's what we think about every week. When Wes and I talk about stuff, when James and I talk about stuff, and Drew and I, what I'm thinking of is the first time attender. Because I always want people to come and hear about God in a relevant way. And so we think about it all the time. And, and, and when we, someone comes through the door, what do we want them to experience? <clears throat> well, in John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Leave that verse up there a minute, Mike. Whoever comes to me who believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. That's some kind of bread. That's some happening bread. I want some of that bread. Now, we believe, we fully believe that Jesus is the spiritual nourishment for our souls. He's talking about cosmic carbohydrate here that will feed your soul. And we believe that if we present the message in a compelling way, in a relevant way, that people are going to um, do what this next verse says, which is Psalm 34, 8. They're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. God's Word is not some history lesson. God's Word, the only, the only book, the best-selling book of only, all times, and it's the only book that was relevant when it was written, and it's just as relevant today, and that's because it's supernatural. It's not natural. And as we open up and we read about the bread of life, the bread of life feeds our souls and we are changed from the inside out. Now, when you come to New Life, there is actually a table that we want you to think about. And whoever is preaching, whether it's me or somebody else, sits in this chair. This is the dude with the food for that day. And we believe that a healthy church... 
you push hold on that? The wind is blowing on my microphone and rumbling. It's not my stomach yet. Just push hold. It'll go off a second. So the dude with the food sits here. Now we believe a healthy church is made up of three segments. This church is for the cocaine snorting, skirt chasing, hellbound lost person. And some of you laugh about that, but we have them here. Because we want them here. We, we actively seek people who are bound for hell. And we do church differently because that's who we want to reach, is people who are going to hell. And we believe a healthy church should have one-third people in this chair. But we also believe that a healthy church should have a third that's in this chair. Hello. This is the baby Christian chair. Because we believe, we fully believe this. This is not just something that we write on a piece of paper and say it's our mission statement and somebody finds it 50 years from now and says, oh, I didn't know that was our mission statement. We fully believe that Jesus is the bread that feeds our soul. And as we open up the, the Word of God and feed on that, that you're going to taste and see. We think lost people will taste and see that, that God is real and He can change your life. And we believe there's going to be a point, and we've seen it happen, with people that, that would describe themselves as the farthest person from God. We've seen them step across the line of faith and give their heart to, to Christ. So in order to move from the hellbound into the Christian family, you have to ask Jesus, the way we say it, to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. So if you admit you're a sinner and you ask God to save you because of what he did on the cross, what we celebrate next week at Easter, then you move from chair one into chair two. You become a baby Christian. But the last thing we want is to have a church full of baby Christians. We believe that a healthy church has a third of mature Christians. And I'm talking full court, chasing after Christ Christians. The people who say, man, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. I will give my time, I'll give my talents, I'll serve. Because we don't think you can get out of baby chair, baby Christian chair, until you push back from the table. You feed on the Word of God. But you're going to get fat if you just sit here. And we don't want any fat butt Christians in our church. So you push back from the table and you exercise. Our church is about diet and exercise. You feed on the Word of God, but that is not enough. Bible study is not enough. You push back from the table and you serve. You go out and you find some hellbound people. You tell them about Christ or you just tell them about the church. And you start praying for them and God will change your heart. And that's when you begin to grow. When you serve lost people and when you serve baby Christians. When you go back and you serve in our children's area. I think the greatest thing that happens on Sunday mornings happens back there. My wife is back there almost every Sunday. Because she knows the value of loving babies. And she'll come home and she'll go, oh. Because every time she gets a new batch of kids, she'll come home and she'll go, oh, they got it. Because she'll tell them about Jesus. Jesus loves me. And you know, she'll just start describing it. We've got to put a camera in there sometime and do a live feed from back there. Because stuff is happening back there that's going to last forever. Kids are getting a foundation. They're, they're finding out that Jesus loves them, that people love them, that our children. she gets a new batch of kids, she'll come home she'll go, oh, they got it. Because she'll tell them about Jesus. Jesus loves me. And, you know, she'll just start describing it. We've got to put a camera in there sometime and do a live feed from back there. Because stuff is happening back there that's going to last forever. Kids are getting a foundation. They're, they're finding out that Jesus loves them, that people love them, that our church loves them. Good stuff happens back there.
So the reason we do church like this is we believe that the founder, the one that we say we follow, we believe Jesus Christ did it like this. Now, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories back to back to back and uh, in rapid fire succession. And the first one, he talks about a shepherd who lost a sheep. He has 99 sheep that are safe. He loses one. He leaves the 99 and he goes to find the one sheep. Um, he stops everything and he goes and finds them. The second one talks about a woman who loses a coin. She had nine coins. She lost one. She stops everything. She searches the house for the lost coin. <laughs> and then the last one, there's a, there's a dad whose son leaves. There's a lost son. And the dad puts his life on hold, praying and hoping for the return of his lost son. And uh, back to back to back, Jesus says, something was lost, something was found. It's the only time in Scripture he tells three stories back to back to back about the same thing. And then the point is at the end. When the lost thing was found, a party was thrown. And, And I don't know if you realize it, every time a lost person comes to Christ, the Bible says the angels in heaven throw a party. Because one that was lost has now been found. It's a great, great chapter in the Bible, Luke chapter 15. Read it. It's good for you. Feed your soul. Now, fast forward from Luke 15 to Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, turn there. <clears throat> because Jesus is about to meet a man named Zacchaeus. And uh, Zacchaeus was a... T- you wouldn't know what the Roman government wanted. He was a Jew working for the Romans, taking money from the Jews. So he was despised. He was hated. People did not like him because he ripped them off. Now look at uh, verse 1 of Luke chapter 19. As Jesus was passing through Jericho, a man named Zacchaeus, one of the most influential Jews in the Roman collecting, tax collecting business, and of course, a very rich man because he ripped off his own people. He could charge you anything he wanted. Now remember in Luke chapter 15, three stories of something was lost, something was found. Now, Jesus comes to someone who is lost as a goose, this Zacchaeus guy. And I want you to notice the Bible says, as Jesus was passing through Jericho. Do you know where he was going? This is chapter 9. of And, of course, a very rich man because he ripped off his own people. Now, can you go back to the first part of that, Mike? Now, remember in Luke chapter 15, three stories of something was lost... Something was found. Now, Jesus comes to someone who is lost as a goose, this Zacchaeus guy. And I want you to notice the Bible says, as Jesus was passing through Jericho. Do you know where he was going? This is chapter... Now look at uh, verse 1 of Luke chapter 19. As Jesus was passing through Jericho, a man named Zacchaeus, one of the most influential Jews in the Roman collecting tax collecting business... And, of course, a very rich man because he ripped off his own people. Now, can you go back to the first part of that, Mike? Now, remember in Luke chapter 15, three stories of something was lost, something was found. Now, Jesus comes to someone who is lost as a goose, this Zacchaeus guy. And I want you to notice the Bible says, as Jesus was passing through Jericho. Do you know where he was going? In Luke chapter 15, three stories of something was lost, something was found. 
Now, Jesus comes to someone who is lost as a goose, this Zacchaeus guy. And I want you to notice the Bible says, as Jesus was passing through Jericho. Do you know where he was going? This is chapter 9 of Luke 19. I mean, chapter uh, 19 of Luke. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Before you finish chapter 19, Jesus is walking in on the Sunday before he was going to die. Jesus is on his last seven days on the planet and he's passing through Jericho and he's thinking, I'm going to the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be put in a grave, and I'm going to be resurrected. That's what's going through his mind. He's walking through Jericho, passing through on his way to the cross. And, and this is interesting to me because do you know what I say at every funeral I ever, I've, I've ever performed? This life is temporary. The Bible calls our bodies a tent. A tent is not a permanent fixture. A tent is not something you want to live in very long. A tent is folded up and put away after it's used. Our lives are temporary. Is your life delaying rot in people's lives? Or are you leading them to hell? Heard a message years ago. Who are you going to hell with? Who are you leading to hell? Because your lifestyle, if you claim to be a Christ follower, either do not claim to follow him, just don't tell anybody if you're going to live like hell because you might lead someone there or you've got to start living a different type life. Is your life delaying rot in people's lives or are you leading them to hell? Heard a message years ago. Who are you going to hell with? Who are you leading to hell? Because your lifestyle, if you claim to be a Christ follower, either do not claim to follow him, just don't tell anybody if you're going to live like hell. Because you might lead someone there. Or you've got to start living a different type life. Rot. Is your life delaying rot in people's lives? Or are you leading them to hell? Heard a message years ago. Who are you going to hell with? Who are you leading to hell? Because your lifestyle, if you claim to be a Christ follower, either do not claim to follow him. Just don't tell anybody. If you're going to live like hell. Because you might lead someone there. Or you've got to start living a different type life. Rot. Is your life delaying rot in people's lives? Or are you leading them to hell? Heard a message years ago. Who are you going to hell with? Who are you leading to hell? Because your lifestyle, if you claim to be a Christ follower, either do not claim to follow him. Just don't tell anybody. If you're going to live like hell. Because you might lead someone there. Or you've got to start living a different type life. The Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to stay away from lost people. The Bible says that we are supposed to be a light. The Bible says we're supposed to be like salt. You know what salt did back then? It delayed rot. Is your life delaying rot in people's lives? Or are you leading them to hell? Heard a message years ago. Who are you going to hell with? Who are you leading to hell because your lifestyle, if you claim to be a Christ follower, either do not claim to follow him, just don't tell anybody if you're going to live like hell because you might lead someone there or you've got to start living a different type life. Who are you going to hell with?
Who are you leading to hell? Because your lifestyle, if you claim to be a Christ follower, either do not claim to follow him, just don't tell anybody if you're going to live like hell because you might lead someone there or you've got to start living a different type life. Or are you leading them to hell? Heard a message years ago. Who are you going to hell with? Who are you leading to hell? Because your lifestyle, if you claim to be a Christ follower, either do not claim to follow him, just don't tell anybody if you're going to live like hell because you might lead someone there or you've got to start living a different type life. People couldn't see them because, couldn't see Jesus. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. Years ago, who are you going to hell with? Who are you leading to hell? Because your lifestyle, if you claim to be a Christ follower, either do not claim to follow him, just don't tell anybody if you're going to live like hell because you might lead someone there or you've got to start living a different type life. People couldn't see them because, couldn't see Jesus. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. If you're going to live like hell, because you might lead someone there, or you've got to start living a different type life. People couldn't see them because, couldn't see Jesus. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. When you crowd out the love of Christ, you actually... Keep people from tasting the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. The samples that you hand out of Christianity are moldy. They're mildewed and they're rotten and they're gross. Because you might lead someone there. Or you've got to start living a different type life. People couldn't see them because, couldn't see Jesus. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. When you crowd out the love of Christ, you actually... Keep people from tasting the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. The samples that you hand out of Christianity are moldy. They're mildewed and they're rotten and they're gross. There are people in your life right now who need to see Jesus. They are searching for a Savior. And you may be the only Jesus they ever see. That's pretty heavy. As you're passing through this life, you are walking through someone's Jericho right now. When you leave here today, you might cross paths with that person. Tomorrow, when you go to the office or you play golf or, or you go work out or you're in the classroom, whatever, there is a Zacchaeus that needs to see Jesus. Now, this Zacchaeus in the Bible, he runs ahead to see Jesus, and the Bible tells us he climbs up a sycamore tree because he knew that Jesus was going to pass by. And, and here's the really cool thing. As Jesus was passing by, the Bible records in Luke 19.5 that there was this incredible collision between one who followed God with all of his life and one who desperately needed to meet that God. Look at verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, for I'm going to be a guest in your home today. Some of you here today need to know that God knows your name. The Bible says that he knows every hair on your head. And for some of us, that's not a hard job to keep up with. But he knows every hair on your head. He cares about you. And, and Zacchaeus was startled. And see, here's how Jesus knew. The Bible says that Jesus, we're going to talk about this in our small groups tonight. The Bible, Jesus said, 
My father is always at work and I too am working and I only do what I see the father doing. How did Jesus know that God was working in this, this tax collector in a tree? A Middle Eastern man would never run in public, never. It was beneath a Middle Eastern man. And especially a powerful government official would never run in public. And he sure wouldn't climb a tree in public because that was kids' play. So as Jesus is passing through, he sees a man in a tree and he says, my father must be at work in his life because here's a man doing whatever it takes to see me. And Jesus stops and calls him by name. Oh, and, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. So Zacchaeus hops out of the tree. Hot dog. Jesus is coming to my house. And, and before long, he opens up his door physically to his house. But before long, he opens up the door to his heart and he invites, invites Christ in. And uh, this is so similar to Revelation 3.20, metaphorically. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, <clears throat> the context of this is in Revelation. Jesus is actually talking to the church. The irony and the tragedy that, that the church doesn't even know Jesus isn't there. They don't even know. He's on the outside trying to get into their church. He's knocking. He's going, hello, let me in. And Christ followers, some of you have walked away from him. I know I've, to- I've talked to you. You've told me your story. Some of you walked away from Christ. He's knocking on the door of your heart today. It's together. You never hear them mention the number one name given to Jesus, and it was given by the eye chair people. They saw that he was hanging out with the low people of society. And they gave him a name. You know what? Zacchaeus. <clears throat> I heard a pastor talking about this and, and he said, you know, whenever you get a group of Christians together, you start asking about the characteristics of Jesus and people say, oh, grace and love and, and forgiveness and, and power and majesty. There, there are over a hundred names of God in the Bible. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Rapha, my healer. There are all these names in the Bible, but when you get a group of Christians together, you never hear them mention the number one name given to Jesus, and it was given by the eye chair people. They saw that he was hanging out with the low people of society, and they gave him a name. You know what name they gave him? The worst name they could possibly think of. They said, Jesus, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Rapha, my healer. There are all these names in the Bible, but when you get a group of Christians together, you never hear them mention the number one name given to Jesus, and it was given by the eye chair people. They saw that he was hanging out with the low people of society, and they gave him a name. You know what name they gave him? The worst name they could possibly think of. They said, Jesus, you're... Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Rapha, my healer. There are all these names in the Bible, but when you get a group of Christians together, you never hear them mention the number one name given to Jesus, and it was given by the eye chair people. They saw that he was hanging out with the low people of society, and they gave him a name. You know what name they gave him? The worst name they could possibly think of. They said, Jesus, you're, you're, you're a friend of sinners. 
you stinking friend of sinners. And I think Jesus wore it like a badge of honor. Fat baby Christians don't want... They saw that he was hanging out with the low people of society. And they gave him a name. You know what name they gave him? The worst name they could possibly think of. They said, Jesus, you're, you're, you're a friend of sinners. You stinking friend of sinners. And I think Jesus wore it like a badge of honor. Fat baby Christians don't want dirty... They forget that church in the building... Churches, and the church is the only organization on the planet that exists for people who aren't here. So we're not going to build a shrine out here when we build our new worship center. By the way, we should have a parking lot over there by next Sunday. Because we're completely full today. We're church in the building. Church is the people. And the church is the only organization on the planet that exists for people who aren't here. So we're not going to build a shrine out here when we build our new worship center. By the way, we should have a parking lot over there by next Sunday. Because we're completely full today. We're churches. They forget that church in the building. Church is the people. And the church is the only organization on the planet that exists for people who aren't here. So we're not going to build a shrine out here when we build our new worship center. By the way, we should have a parking lot over there by next Sunday. Because we're completely full today. We're, we're, I shared this story a couple of years ago, so if you heard it, just get over it. It's two years. I looked. It was two years from this Sunday ago. So most of you weren't here. The rest of you just shut up. <clears throat> A Christian writer, it's that good a story because we've got, to, we've got to change the perception of church and it starts today. Christian writer shares this story. So most of you weren't here. The rest of you just shut up. <clears throat> a Christian writer, it's that good a story because we've got, to, we've got to change the perception of church and it starts today. Christian writer shares this story. One time he was in Hawaii He's from the East Coast, so he was on East Coast time. He would wake up at like 3 o'clock in the morning, every morning. So he went to this diner and he was having coffee. While he was sitting there, a group of women came in and sat down next to him. And it was really apparent what their profession was. They were prostitutes and there were eight or nine of them there. By the way, this dude's a preacher. And they were talking. One of them mentioned that it was her birthday the next day. And the other kind of one scoffed like, well, what do you want me to do? Have a party for you or something? And, and this woman was named Agnes, the, the birthday girl, and she said, no, I don't expect that. Nobody has ever thrown a birthday party for me. So they all left. So this Christian writer asked the guy behind the counter, he said, do they come here every night? And the guy behind the counter says, sure. So this guy says, the Christian says, well, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to come back tomorrow, and I'd like to throw a birthday party for Agnes. So the guy behind the counter smiled. He said, okay. And he calls back to his wife who was in the back room. She's the, the cook and, and says, all right. She comes out all bright and smiling. She says, oh, that's wonderful. Nobody ever does anything for Agnes. She's one of those people who's really nice and, and we should do something for her. And he said, look, the writer said, 
If it's okay with you, I'll be back here tomorrow morning at 2.30 and I'll decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. And, and Harry, the guy behind the counter, said, no way, the cake's mine. I'll make the cake. So at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner with crepe paper decorations and big pieces of cardboard that said, happy birthday, Agnes. I decorated that diner from one end to the other. I had it looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and this Christian writer. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swings open and in comes Agnes and her friend. And I had everybody ready. I was kind of the MC. When they came in, we all screamed, Happy birthday! Never have I seen someone so flabbergasted, so stunned. Her mouth fell open. Her legs buckled. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools, we all sang happy birthday to her. When we came to the end of our singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. And when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she just lost it and cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes, come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to blow them out. And after a few seconds, he did. (laughs) Then he handed the knife and said, cut the cake, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked at the cake, then without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, Look, Harry, is it okay with you if I keep the cake for a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? And Harry shrugged and said, Sure, it's okay with me. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She said. Then looking at me, she said, I just live down the street a couple of doors. I'll take the cake home and I'll be right back. I promise. She took off, picked up the cake and carried it out like it was the Holy Grail and walked towards the door. We just stood there motionless. When the doors closed, the writer says, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems really strange to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But at the moment, it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed her life would be changed and God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, Hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? The kind of church Jesus came to create would do that. I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? The kind of church Jesus came to create would do that. Came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? The kind of church Jesus came to create would do that. By the way, if you're dedicating babies today, y'all go ahead back there. They're going to line you up. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? The kind of church Jesus came to create 
would do that. By the way, if you're dedicating babies today, y'all go ahead back there. They're going to line you up. (laughs) I don't know where we got the church that's all prim and proper, that you have to look like me and smell like me and act like me and talk like me and dress like me. I don't know where that church came from because you can't find it in the Scriptures. And the churches I've been at, by the way, we said we'd never have a marquee here. I think marquees are the dumbest things on the planet. Most churches I know ought to just put these words on the door. Because we don't care. You just go to hell. Because we don't care. Not while I'm alive. That's not going to be the slogan of this church while I live. So you've got a choice to make. Do you want to be a part of a church that says whatever it takes to get people who are driving by 155 to stop? Somebody's going to run out there with a sign next week, I know. (laughs) I'll be preaching your funeral. Here lies one of the most dedicated, dumbest church members I've ever known. (laughs) But you understand what I'm saying? There is a Zacchaeus watching you. There's a Zacchaeus watching me. And are we going to be the type of people that says, if I have to throw a birthday party for a prostitute at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'll do it. And I'm just declaring to you again that if we have to make a choice between someone who is lost and someone who is a Christ follower, whether we're going to keep you at this church, we're going to choose lost people. Because you just think this through. You just think this through logically. If you're a Christ follower and you go, you serve somewhere else, yay, we'll see you in heaven. If you're a lost person, I can't bear the thought of you going to hell. You see the stakes? The odds are too great. We're going to go for lost people.